What's up, guys? Let's go, Baylor Bears and all Waco schools represented here tonight. Um, Man, 9.30 is late, people. Good grief. I miss being in college where you can sleep in and you don't have a class until 10 a.m. the next day um, and not having an eight-month-old. What, is that not when you have class the next day? Yeah, okay. Hey, my name is David. I'm from the Porch in Dallas, which is a ministry, a young adult ministry gathering Tuesday nights at Watermark Community Church. If you ever make it to Dallas, check us out. Or like you said, you can, you can see any of the resources that hopefully are encouraging. It is so fun to get to be. What a special place. How few places in our country and really in our world have something like this going on. And, um, and it is awesome that there are, are men and women who are uh, pursuing to know Jesus more on a Monday night in Waco, Texas. So it really is a privilege to get to be here. I, um, I have a wife in six and a half years, a son uh, who is three named Crew, and a daughter who is eight, month, eight months old named Monroe. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I've been at Watermark for the last 10 years and um, have gotten to do the porch uh, for the last eight. I'm going to start with a story with a, a close friend of mine who's actually here tonight, a name JP, who is the newest campus, no, not campus pastor, senior pastor of Harris Creek Church in Waco, Texas. Get excited. There's a little plug for you. If you don't have a home church, check them out. And uh, he and I had a chance to go to London about uh, a year ago, almost. And, um, and it was going to be a trip for just young pastors. And, and he had uh, gotten invited to this trip. And I, I got to be a part of it and come along. And, and we had uh, prepared really uh, for weeks before. And at that time, if you've heard any of his story, um, you know that, that there was a season of kind of anxiety and really sleep problems that he was walking through. And so leading up to the trip, he and I would just be in conversations and and I was there to kind of be a wingman. Uh, He was worried about sleeping in London. There's a, you know, eight hour sleep change. I know Dale just got back. Maybe some of you guys just got back from London. So you're feeling it if you're here tonight because there's a sleep or there's a time zone difference. And so all that to say, Weeks leading up to it, I was like, hey, dude, I'm going to be your wingman. If you can't sleep, we're going to go see what London has to offer. London Bridge, whatever else they got there, we will go see it. We'll stay up late. I'm here for you. I will be with you through this. And so uh, the day comes, the week comes. We finally get over there. We get on the plane. We take off, go over, get to London. And, um, and we get to our room. And the first night is here. We get ready for bed. And if you've never been to London, here's one thing I wasn't aware of that if you travel there, you'll probably experience. Um, we stayed in the Holiday Inn. It was great. And while we're in the Holiday Inn, it's not like an American Holiday Inn where you kind of have room to lift up your luggage and spread out and stuff. It's like the size, it's like four feet by four feet. So we're literally in two twin beds, like right next to each other. It's like, all right, man, good night, but fist bump. And <laughs> right next to each other. And uh, in the night, and we're kind of getting ready for bed and going to sleep. And hey, I'm going to be here for you. And As we prepare to go to sleep that night, all of a sudden, waves of anxiety came not over him, but over me, where I began to like play this tape of my wife at that time. I was eight months pregnant with our daughter. And um, I began to go, oh my gosh, I'm over here in London. What am I going to do if she like goes into labor? Uh, There's no like quick way to get to London where it's like blink your eyes and you're over there. There's no way to get back very quick. I'm going to have to get on a plane. What's that going to look like? How much is that going to cost? And I began to go, what's going to happen If I'm stuck over here, oh my gosh, what type of a husband and father am I? What am I doing on this trip? And all of a sudden anxiety strikes me. And so JP had like already slumbered off to bed, poor guy. And the guy who was struggling with anxiety and sleeping, who's now sound asleep, is in a room with a guy who was here to support him, who's like, hey, JP, are you awake? (laughs) He's like, I am now. And I'm like, "Um, what are some of the remedies that you've been doing for sleep? Asking for a friend. And... uh, and luckily, because he had been on that journey, he had like a tackle box of things to pull out. So he pulls out this tackle box of stuff, and he's like, hey, these teas. So I'm sitting in bed. 
And we're drinking this tea and, uh, and essential oils. If you know what that is, we're like rubbing essential oils on our arms. It's like, man, this is great, man. What else? I'm still not really sleepy. You want to go walk around? And, uh, and then um, we began to do these like breathing exercises. The best part of it, I wish you wasn't here tonight because <laughs> this is embarrassing now. Um, was there was this sleep tape where he's like, dude, I got you. I mean, just best friend in the world you could imagine. I got you. Puts on this tape where it's like this guy who begins to walk you through relaxation techniques where he's like, start with the pinky toe. Relax the pinky toe. The pinky toe is in a deep sleep. <laughs> and then it moved on to the next one and the next one. And, uh, and it honestly actually worked. It was great. I was gone probably four toes in, but, uh, but it was one of those moments where just for that entire trip, anxiety was like grabbing me. I remember during the next day, like sleep is one of those things where it's really hard to conquer because it's not like when someone's like, Hey, you know, just go to sleep. You're like, okay, yeah, that works. Oh yeah, that didn't work. And it's one of those things that you can't just try harder, go to sleep. And, uh, and it was one of those moments where anxiety, I say that because every day during the trip, I remember being anxious about, oh, no, night is coming again. What am I going to do? And um, I just felt this sense of anxiety kind of rolling over me. And all throughout uh, that trip, this kind of took place. And I start there just to say that was one just example in my life that has happened several times of the power that anxiety can have over our lives. Like, like if you've ever wrestled with that, if you've ever wrestled with sleeping, or, or just think about the ways that anxiety can distract you from being present wherever you are. Think about the ways that anxiety, some of you guys are anxious right now because of a dating relationship that's not going the way that you hope, or an exam you have tomorrow, or something you should have prepared for, or the internship that you didn't get accepted to this summer. And your mind is just like having this power on you. Think about the things that people will turn to to escape anxiety. And I'm not talking just medication, although that being one thing that people turn to. Think about the ways that people will turn to alcohol. They turn to uh, just, you know, one relationship after the next. They turn to just, hey, I need a bowl. I need something to mellow me out right now because I'm just so fearful. I'm overwhelmed. I feel like I'm having a panic attack. Think about the power anxiety can have over our lives. And what's interesting is it's one of those those things that uh, call it a sin, call it just a result of living in a sin-broken world that no one wants to have in their life. In other words, uh, it's not like this pet sin that people are like, hey, look, God, you can have everything, not the anxiety. I'm keeping this. Everyone would be like, if there's a way to have more peace and less anxiety, I would love to know it. None of us want to hold on to it. And the good news is that all throughout the Bible, there are teachings that Jesus has given and, and other places that there's these instructions and principles that God has given his people to find freedom from anxiety. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. For the next 25 minutes, if you take notes, you can write out finding freedom from anxiety. This was really helpful for me. And as someone who has um, not struggled with anxiety at levels that probably maybe some of you in this room have, but at different times has struggled and still struggles with anxiety in my life. So hopefully this is helpful. comes direct from the words and teachings of Jesus on how you and I can find freedom from anxiety. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. These are verses. Here's what I know. If you're at Baylor, there's a good chance that you have read these verses before. And my fear is that these verses have gone in your ear and out the ear the next, that there is no longer the power than when Jesus taught them the power of what they actually mean. It's no longer able to penetrate and no longer able to really instruct your heart because some of the teachings here are so profound. It has taken 2,000 years of psychological studies. My wife is a counselor. They are just uh, catching up, she would say, to some of the profound truths that Jesus has given us. 
And so if you struggle with anxiety or at some point in your life, you will, tonight is for you. So we're going to start in uh, verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6 and look at Jesus' teaching on anxiety. He says this. I think the verses will be up on the screen. Is that right? Yeah. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I'll just launch in. He says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. What are we talking about? You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. So he launches into a a message on worry, and he begins to talk about money, as though uh, something's never changed. People have been worried and anxious about money for a long time. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. To us, he would say, whatever you worry about. Hey, don't worry about the grades that you get. Don't worry about the uh, internship you're going to get into. Don't worry about that relationship. Don't worry about finding a spouse or a ring by spring. Don't worry about those things. And he's not saying don't care or not saying those are not important. And he's not saying don't try. He's saying do all of those things. Be responsible, work hard, try. But at the end of the day, there's a life God wants for you where you do not have to worry. And he establishes a relationship by saying, hey, uh, this devotion reflects what you worry about. In other words, what you are most devoted to reflects what you're most worried about. I'm going to come back to that here in a second, but what I really want to zoom in on is the two questions that he asks next that are powerful, penetrating questions. And he says this in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And can any of you, by worrying, verse 27, Add a single hour to your life. The first thing I just want to launch into is what Jesus launches into in uh, regards to worry. And it's just a simple first point. That worrying never helps us and it always hurts us. Now, I know that's not the most profound thing anyone's ever heard in the room. You're like, yeah, I know. Duh. Worrying is not awesome. That doesn't make my problem go away. But I'm just getting started because Jesus is just getting started. Where he's basically getting his all on it. Hey, let's all get on the same page here, right? Are all of us in agreement that worry is never something that is helpful in life? If you're currently finding yourself where you're sitting there and you're worried and you're like distracted and you can't actually talk and engage with people around you or your friends are all hanging out and you're just in the corner like, oh my gosh, I'm worried. Can we all agree what you're doing is not productive? That's what Jesus just said. Is worrying adding to your life in this moment? Does it ever add to your life? And he's basically getting his whole audience on board. They're shaking their head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, worry is never helpful. It's often hurtful. And then the two... Questions are meant to lead to help chase down the power of our worry and the power that worry can have over our life. Where he basically says, hey, isn't life more than those things? Life is so much bigger. There's so much more to having an amazing, fulfilling life than just food, right? Now, his audience worried about food because, newsflash, or surprise, maybe back then they didn't have refrigeration. And so his audience would have been like, oh, what are we going to eat tomorrow? There's no, like, oh, there's leftovers in the fridge. They would have wondered, what are we going to eat tomorrow? So that would have been the thing that they worry about. To you, he would say, isn't life more than having a spouse? Isn't life more than getting the perfect grades or having that amazing uh, job over the summer or having some amazing job someday? Isn't life more than those things? And he's not saying, like, those aren't, don't matter or those are bad things. He's just saying, like, at the end of the day, is that life? And it's pretty genius because it deflates the power of worry. Think about it. Like none of us would be like, whatever you're worried about, let's say it's a job someday. None of us would be like, yes, Jesus, that's life. If I get the perfect job someday, that's all that there is to life. That's all I'll ever want in life. That's everything. You'd be like, 
You're, that's ridiculous. Maybe you're worried about a spouse. You'd say, isn't life more than a spouse? Life is so much more than that. It's getting all of your attention. And yet isn't life so much bigger and so much more than that? In other words, life equals spouse is not true. And someday you're going to get married and you're going to see this. Maybe anybody engaged in the room right now? No. Dale, we got to work here, buddy. We got to... Men, I'm not even going to go there. Um, You will see someday life is so much more than that. Those things are awesome and they're important, but he's saying, hey, these are sucking all of your life away. Or they're getting all of your attention and he's trying to pull his audience back from the things that they were so worried about. That if you had all the food to his audience, he would say, you could ever eat. Is that all that you would ever want and care about in life? Well, no, of course not. There's way more than that. And he's just trying to help pull his audience back to deflate some of the power of their worry. He's helping to really chase down some of the worries that they have. The reason I say psychology is catching up to this day is if you go see a good counselor, I'm going to save you guys about $150 in the next two minutes of what you would spend if you went to go see a counselor someday. As uh, I'm married to a counselor, like I said, and one thing that my uh, wife will consistently just share that they will do in counseling is they will help people chase down their worries to see, well, what's behind that worry? To run to the end of it, to find out, hey, what are you really worried about? So here would be an example. Maybe you're worried that what if I don't get that internship this summer or I don't get um, connected into the right job? So let's just go with internship and job. And she'll sit there with a counselor and, or she'll sit there with someone who's getting counseling and they'll say, well, what happens if you don't get that job? Well, then I may not get to work for that company after I get done. What happens if you don't get to work for that company after you get done? Well, then I guess I'll have to find another job. What happens if you have to find another job? Well, I may not get a job. What happens if you don't get a job? Well, then I may have to not have uh, this car because I have a very expensive car payment. Great, you're worried about your car. That we can work with. Let's talk about that. What if you don't have that car anymore? Well, I'd have to get like a clunker and turn it in because I don't have enough money to afford this. Great, what if you drive a clunker? Well, I may not be able to go on dates because people won't want to get in the clunker. Great, we can work with that. And they'll just help chase down, like, what am I actually worried about? Maybe it's the sleep thing. This will help you if you struggle to sleep. Begin to think about, like, oh, my gosh, what if I can't fall asleep? Well, I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. What if you're really tired tomorrow? Well, I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. And it's like, great, all right, can you make it one day and be really tired? I think I can make it one day and be really tired. Great, all right, we can do this. And he's chasing down, and it's very genius when you think about it. And he's saying, worry never helps. It always hurts. Begin to pull you back from what is the thing you're worried about. Isn't life so much more than that? But Jesus isn't done, and he's just launching into some truths around worry. So let's pick it up again in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable to God than a bird? Do you think you're more valuable to God than a bird? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. And he draws a relationship between the size of your faith and the size of your worries. 
But to us, again, he, he wouldn't say clothes, maybe. I mean, maybe you're worried about clothes. More likely, he would say something about spouse. He would say, hey, look at the birds of the air. They end up, you know, getting a spouse and working together, and they have a mate together, and they're not on Match.com. They don't get on Tinder. They don't get on Bumble or whatever else kids are doing these days. They don't do any of those things. And yet things end up working out for them. Do you not think that God cares more about the things in your life than he does them? And so pulling his audience back to just change the perspective or remind them of the perspective that they can have because they have a heavenly father who cares for them. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans, pagan in the New Testament is essentially a word that means someone who doesn't have a relationship with God as heavenly father. So people who don't see God and have a relationship with God as Heavenly Father, they run after all of those things. But your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, there's a God, if you are a Christian, you believe that you have a Heavenly Father who cares, who's promised to meet all of the things that you need. Not everything that you want, but everything that you need. So he says, you have been invited by the God who's there. You don't have to worry. God has promised, I will meet all of your needs. The second point I want to draw out from Jesus' teaching is that you don't have to worry. God will meet your needs. Again, he doesn't promise he's going to meet your wants, and you're like, hey, I feel like I need a Range Rover. He doesn't promise that that's going to happen, but he promises, I will meet all of your needs. I meet all the needs for everything and all of creation, and I'm committed to meeting what you need most. You may not always agree with it, but he promises, I will provide for everything that you need. It was an old theologian named John Owen, who said that it is irrational for a Christian to worry about the future because they have a loving Heavenly Father that they've trusted in to provide. He said it more clearly this way. It is irrational for a Christian to worry because essentially, in essence, a Christian is someone who says, God, I trust you with all of my eternity. You died on the cross for my sin. You paid for it all. All of my eternal life, I trust with you. If I'm going to have heaven, it's going to be because of you. I trust you with eternity. I just don't trust you with Thursday. And he says, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. What I want you to hear tonight is there's a God who's there who's inviting you. Whatever burden, whatever anxiety, whatever thing that you're carrying is too heavy for you to hold, will you give it to me? I promise you can trust me with it. I will meet everything that you need. Not everything that you want, Not everything that you hope, everything that you need. The God who loved you enough to give his life for you is what he's promising. Implicit within his teaching is even the promise of, hey, don't worry, I got you. You don't have to worry, I got you. Why do I say that? Because all of us would say, and the Bible teaches, hey, God is a good God. And he cannot be a good heavenly father to say, hey, don't worry about it. Without also saying, I got it. I'll cover it. Here's what I mean. If you and I, after tonight, were to go hang out and we went with a group and we were all headed to Common Grounds or George's or the only two restaurants that I know in Waco, and uh, <clears throat> either of those, and uh, on our way out, we were headed and, and, uh, and you were like, oh no, I forgot my wallet. And I was like, hey, don't worry about it. I got you. We head over, we get to George's, we're all hanging out. This is great. Waiter brings the food. And then he shows up and he says, hey, you one check or two checks? And I was like, two checks. He'd be like, what? Teacher, you said don't worry about it. 
thought I meant I was going to pay for your food. No, I just, I didn't want you to be worried about it. I just wanted you to, you know, experience freedom from worry. Worry's not cool, man. I just didn't want you to worry. You'd be like, you're a bad friend. I'm not going to George's with you or anywhere with you again. Because implicit in saying, hey, don't worry about it, means I got it. Could God be a good heavenly father and say, don't worry? But I don't got you. There's a phenomenon going on right now, uh, something called dog moms. Any dog moms in this room? Great, there's two of you. <clears throat> we need to work on engagement and dogs. Um, and there's a girl on my team, uh, uh, on our staff, who uh, she is like the <laughs> craziest dog mom I've ever met. She gives her dogs middle names, which feels like we need to talk about. And, um, and Halloween costumes and just the perspective. I mean, she sees them like his children. And, um, and uh, do you think that she loves her dogs and the incredible lengths that she'll go to to provide for them, the amount of care she thinks, the amount of just time and energy she spends, she cares, she thinks about them. She, when she goes to Target, she's like, it's another chance to get a toy for the dog. She just focused all of her energy and love and she cares so much about these dogs. Some of you think she loves her dogs more than God loves you. And let me ask you in another way. Do you think that this mama goes to such great lengths, do you think she loves her dogs more than God loves you? That's crazy. And we can say that with confidence. It's crazy because he's already proved the lengths to which I will go to express my love for you know no bounds, even if it costs the life of my own son, Jesus so that he could die the death you deserve. So that by trusting in his payment for your sin and resurrection from the death, you could have eternal life. That's as far as I could possibly go and I'll do it. Because of the length of my love for you. It's irrational. And you have a heavenly father who loves you, who's promised. I will meet what you need. I am committed to providing for my children. It's been said well before that Christians don't always know what tomorrow holds, but we are the only ones who know who holds tomorrow. Christians don't always know what tomorrow has in store, what tomorrow holds, but we know the one who is holding tomorrow. Jesus finishes off in what really has is, is just been the truth that has been so powerful and profound for me in my life um, over the last 12 months and 18 months. But seek first. Jesus gives an alternative to anxiety. In other words, instead of doing these things, here's what I want you to do. And stay with me because these are the verses I honestly am most worried about. If you grew up in church, you're going to miss. Because you've read these verses, you've heard them, and you heard something different than some of the truths that are inside of them. But seek first. The same word is prioritize first. His kingdom God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek or prioritize first, Jesus said, God's kingdom. Make as first devotion. Remember when we started and we were like, hey, things that you worry about reflect what you're most devoted to. And he says, hey, I want you to prioritize your first devotion to being God's kingdom, God's agenda for your life. 
God's plan. The third point, if you take notes, you can write down is you release your worries by replacing your agenda with God's. Replacing your agenda with God's and you will release worry in your life. You will experience less worry if you begin to say, hey, God, at the end of the day, there will be no competition for whose agenda gets first place in my life. This is the things that I want. These are the things that I would love to see happen. But if they don't go the way that I want them to, I trust you. As you're sovereign, which just means God's in control of all things, as your kind of will unfolds in my life, even when it doesn't go the way that I want it to go, I trust you. And I'm choosing to trust you. I'm releasing my agenda for your agenda. Let there be no competition. I'm prioritizing your will in my life. Both the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus that are in here and the things you tell me to do, and the revealed will, which when it unfolds in my life, when circumstances kind of go, and I'm like, I didn't want him to go that way. I trust you. That's God's will at work in my life. I'm going to choose to trust you. And he says, you will release anxiety if you will embrace or prioritize this first place in your heart, first place in your life, God's agenda for you. God's plan as it unfolds in your life. And in doing so, you will experience freedom from anxiety. I think some of you may have heard, and this is why I say you may have missed it, because you grew up in church and you're like, oh man, Jesus is like, hey, don't worry. Seek first, go on a mission trip. That's all you got to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying embrace as very first. Priority in my life is God's agenda, God's kingdom, God's will. That's what those things mean. God's kingdom, that means God's reign. God, your rule over my life. I'm trusting, I'm choosing, I'm prioritizing. And you will experience release from anxiety when you do that. Really, further, the reason why I think this it was so helpful to me is think about it. Like the things that I worry about, they don't reflect God's kingdom. They reflect my kingdom. And they're probably the same for you. In other words, my guess is if anyone's anxious in the room or you've struggled with anxiety in the past, you're probably not, oh, my gosh, God, there's so many people in Mongolia. How are you going to save them? How are you going to do it, God? You're probably like, I'm worried about my calculus exam tomorrow, and I'm freaking out a little bit. Those are the things you're worried about. I'm worried about, hey, not doing things as well or things not going the way that I want them to. I'm worried about my kingdom. And he says, release the priority of your kingdom, your will, your agenda for your life, and replace it with God's, and you will experience freedom from your peace. Because here's the reality. I worry, when I say I worry about my kingdom, I worry about not getting the things that I want. Anyone relate? Hey, these are kind of the things that I want. I want to live this long. I want to have healthy kids like this. I want to have this story unfold. And I worry whenever it's like, oh man, this may not happen. I may not get everything that I want. And I choose to worry. Here's the crazy thing. Newsflash, at least for me, I'm not going to get everything that I want in life. I mean, I hate to like burst the bubble in case anyone walked in and like, everything is going to go perfect always. It's not. You're not going to get everything you want in life. So that goal is off the table. You're not, in other words, here's the choice. Here's your choice. You can have not everything you want in life and peace or not everything you want in life and worry. You don't get to choose not having everything you want in life. That's guaranteed. You get to choose worry or peace. So you embrace. The way I wrote it in my notes was this, that, that as Christians, we experience freedom from anxiety by surrendering to God's kingdom or God's agenda as it unfolds in our life before our own. You experience freedom from saying, God, this is not what I would choose, but not my will be done. Your will be done. In case you're still not following me, he pulls us back to something he said 20 verses earlier inside of this same chapter of Matthew chapter six, when he said, this is how you should pray. Remember this? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is Jesus speaking literally 20 verses earlier. Your kingdom come, your reign, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as in like in my world, in my earth, on the dirt that I walk in. God, your agenda, your kingdom, your reign be done in my life. Your will comes before my own. This is what I would want, but if that's not what you have, God, I trust you. What other option do I have? You love me, you're for me, you're good. Jesus really practiced this exact idea. The only time in Scripture that we're told that the Son of God, Jesus, was overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed or maybe you feel overwhelmed right now. But there's one time in the Bible that we're told that Jesus felt overwhelmed. And he turns to God and he begins to pray and he prays this exact idea. It's in Mark chapter 14. It's hours before he was about to be crucified. And he says this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and he prayed, if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Will you take this cup, talking about being crucified, will you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Practically, you will release your worries by replacing your agenda for your life with God's. I'm not saying don't have hopes, don't have dreams, don't have things that you would love to see take place. But when God begins to sovereignly unfold his will, you don't get into the school that you wanted to for grad school. Your parents don't get married again. Or they get a divorce. Maybe one of them gets cancer. That dating relationship that you so desperately, I just want it to work, and maybe we can make it work and stay together, and it doesn't go the way that you hoped that it would go. In that moment, you have a choice to say, God, I trust you, not my will. Your will be done. If your will is for me to not have the scholarship and I have to transfer schools next semester, I trust you. What else am I going to do? It's not that I'm not going to still work hard and try to get everything together, but I'm not, I don't have control of the circumstances of my life. And so if that's your will, God, your will be done. I trust you. What other option do you have? Well, I guess you have worry. But the choice you have to make or the choice that you have before you and that I have before me is, hey, man, I can have not everything I want, not control over everything in my life, and peace or not control over everything in my life. And just worry and embrace something that never helps, it always hurts. People will say, I struggle with control. Newsflash, you don't have control. You never have. Control is a myth. That is like saying this. I struggle with x-ray vision. It's like, you don't have x-ray vision. I struggle with superpower, I can fly. No, you don't. You're cuckoo for cocoa buffs. And uh, you don't struggle with that. That's like saying, I struggle with control. You don't have control. You never have. But you can have peace. And it will come, and the path towards peace comes by saying, God, I trust you. Your kingdom, your agenda, your will, before my own. This is how I'm going to bring these things to you in prayer. And I'm going to work as hard as I can. But at the end of the day, if that's not what you have, I'm not going to thwart your plan. But I can have peace as your plans unfold inside of my life. Really, it's the same thing the Apostle Paul would later say. I'm going to read these verses and then close with a story. Where he would say this. 
Do not be anxious, this is Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, you've probably read before, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Three different times he says the same thing. Tell God what you want. That's prayer, petition, and present your requests. He says the same thing three times. Go to God. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you want. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How can that be possible? Because Paul knew that as believers, we go to God and we say, Hey, God, these are the things that I would love in my life. These are the things that I would love to see take place. I'd love to get into school. I'd love to get married in this time. I'd love to live to be 80. I'd love to, whatever your desires are in life, I'm going to bring those to you, God. But I'm going to have peace transcend because I know that you are for me. You love me. You gave your life for me. And so if things don't go the way that I'm bringing my request to you, it's because you got something better. And I'm going to choose to trust you. I may not always see how it's better in this moment. It doesn't make sense to me how people die of cancer so young. But I'm going to choose to trust you. What other option do you have? I'll tell you. Worry. choice is yours. Peace, and I trust you. Worry, and I don't. Either way, you're not changing who's in control. You're changing what you experience. Let me close with this. About 14 months ago, this became so real to me in a new way. And I taught this passage like four times probably. And it happened, and I'm going to close right here. So if you've tuned out and you're starting to, I don't know what you'd be doing in here, counting these things up here, come right back in. Um, we found out we were pregnant in October of 2017. I know, November 2017. It was October, November, I can't remember. And in December, we had um, a couple weeks before gotten a test done, and we went to the doctor and got the test done and then two weeks later we got a phone call at 9 30 at night on a Wednesday night I remember it like it was yesterday and the doctor said you're um you're pregnant with a little girl and it was like this is awesome and then she said uh and I just I need to walk through something else that we found she was flagged for a chromosomal disorder and if she has it there's a 90 percent chance that she won't make it out of the second trimester that she's going to die. And if she makes it, and she does have it, she's going to live her entire life with severe complications. She'll never be able to have kids. She'll have to have immediate heart surgery. There'll be a question over whether or not even there's a heart that's a viable transplant and replacement. Everything in like a moment, it was like a bomb went off. And when you work in ministry, like you teach these kind of things, you're like, God, I choose to trust you. And yeah, you know, your will be done and all that stuff. And it was like, the air went out of the room. And it was like, God, what are you doing? And even the numbers, if I tried to explain them, it was like there's a 14% chance that if she has she's a 90% chance or all that. None of that honestly even mattered in the moment. It was like, God, we don't want to lose our baby. And that led us on just a journey where for the next really nine months, and, and here was the truth, she said, and there's no way of knowing until she's here. And we can run a test if she makes it. So every single day, it was like, God, she made it another day. God, she made it another day. God, please, we don't want to lose our baby girl. 
Not my will be done, God. Your will be done. And I don't even want to say that to you right now. I want my will to be done. And every moment it was a chance that God, I don't know where else to go. What else are we going to do? We trust you. As though you're not holding this life together already right now. As though you're not forming and knitting her together. And I know that to you in this room, you're like, you don't have kids. And it's probably like, oh, is that? It was like the world at that moment. And we cried our tears and we prayed our prayers. We brought others in to be a part of it. And we fasted and we prayed and we waited. And we held on. And honestly, here's what I wish that I could tell you. I wish I could stand before you and say, let me tell you something. Every moment was a moment where I said, God, not my will, yours. I trust you. I don't even know that most of them were. But every moment I had peace was a moment where I said, God, not my will, but your will be done, and I trust you. You're good and you're for me, and you love this child more than I do. And if the story you write and the story that unfolds is not the one I would write, I trust you. Nine months later, we, um, we, had, we gave birth to a healthy baby girl. And I wish and I hope that if that wasn't the case, that I could stand here and say, God, man, we trusted you. We trust you. You're for us. You love us. And I don't know what he was doing. Here's what I do know at least happened in that season is he grew my faith and my trust in him. And all of a sudden these words that I'm talking with you about tonight, they became real in a new way that I can embrace God's agenda first, not because they always end up, not because the child always ends up healthy, not because the cancer always goes away, not because you always get into the class or the school or the grade that you wanted or the relationship that you wanted, but because there's a God who's there, who loves you, who died for you, who says, I am sovereign over your life. You can trust me or you can choose worry and the choice is yours, but I love you. I'm crazy about you. I will meet your needs. What you're holding is too heavy for you to hold. Give it to me. Bring it to me. Let me pray. And as I do, I just want to pray for some of you guys in the room. And I want to invite you to do something that I, we rarely do at the porch but from time to time. But I want to pray for those of you who are walking through it. I just want to have everyone who just bow ahead and we're just going to close our eyes. And I want to pray specifically for some of you who are walking through the valley of the shadow of anxiety. And if that's in a place where you're walking through and maybe it's, it's, it's related to none of the stuff that I talked about. You're like, all that stuff, I wish that was the thing I was worried about. I'd love to pray for you. And so if you're in that place right now, would you just raise a hand wherever you're at and just say, God, I, I would love prayer over this. I need you to appear in a real way right now. Father, I want to pray for my friends here those who are walking through times where they're wondering, are you going to show up? Do you even care? Is this thing even real? And where are you, God? And why would you allow this to happen? I pray that you would deepen their trust in you. You Would you raise their awareness of your nearness? Not would you be with them or be close to them. God, you are with them. You are close to all of us. And you, we live and move and have our being. Would you raise our awareness of your nearness in our life? 
Would it be like we could feel you in a way that I don't even know how to ask for? And for those who are walking through just pain and terrifying circumstances, God, I want to pray specifically for them. Would you be more real than the pain? That is real and undeniable and present as fear and pain are in their circumstances. You would be more real, God. Would you help us, Lord? Seek you first. To love you more. To trust you. No matter what story you're writing. In the name of Christ.